In November 2022, the World Health Organization renamed monkeypox to Mpox. This was in order to fight stigmatization surrounding the name. Combating shame and stigma surrounding Mpox is one of the primary goals of this series. As this was recorded prior to this change, this episode will feature references to the original name. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So... We've heard from scientists and activists and government bodies that are attempting to get vaccines into people's arms. But are people actually able to get hold of the vaccine? I haven't had one. Before I had monkeypox, I'd heard about the condition and I think I'd even done a little bit of Googling just to, you know, see if the vaccine was available, but there wasn't any real results. After going through my isolation period, I did ask if I was eligible to receive one, but it's believed, based on (laughs) practically no evidence, that for the moment, I'm not a priority to get one. Especially since, as we covered in episode 6, the UK now only has a limited number left. Medical professionals are under the assumption that I currently don't need a vaccine, as they think I probably have some sort of immunity. But we don't know how long that will last, and given the UK is not planning to acquire any more vaccines, I'm nervous about if and what immunity I actually have, and how long it will last. I can't imagine going through this all over again. And what about the folks that haven't had monkeypox? How easy was it to get a vaccine And what about those like me that went through this? Was their experience any better? I was one of the first to be diagnosed in the area. I was number 164 in the queue. I was going in a misery and no one is helping me. Terrible, terrible anal pain. And I was bleeding quite heavily from my anus. Any doctor came in and said that, oh, this is tonsillitis. Take this penicillin and go home and drink lots of water. Today, we are traveling around the UK to find out. Because if you want to hear about access to the vaccine, then we need to speak to folks who have tried and either have or have failed to get one. And find out why. So, when it comes to vaccines, let's find out what the pox is going on. It is temporary. Above all else, that is what I remember that got me through it. We need to make sure that gay and bisexual men have access to the vaccine. What I'm seeing a lot in the media are quite stigmatizing messages. If people were always, you know, doing exactly the right thing, then there'd be no STIs ever in the world. It does beg the question, if this was affecting heterosexual white people, maybe wouldn't be in this situation potentially. It is the job of a sexual health doctor, of an infectious disease doctor, to give people the ability to have the type of sex that they like with as low a risk as possible of infectious disease. Welcome back to What the Pox, 
the Monkeypox Resource Podcast tackling shame, stigma, and looking at the wider issues at play. This week, we are talking about vaccines, and specifically the rollout from those who are looking to receive one. Healthcare in the UK can often differ depending where you are from. So I wanted to see if this was the case for monkeypox vaccines and treatment. Like Jamie Wareham, the producer of this show. Back in July, when I told him about my situation, Jamie started to reach out to local clinics in Cornwall where he's based to see if he could protect himself from monkeypox. Right, so I'm Jamie. I'm clinically extremely vulnerable, or to use a pre-COVID term, immunocompromised or suppressed. And so that means that I'm a bit more susceptible things than most. And I am also gay and uh, looking to get a monkeypox vaccine, uh, which after speaking to my consultants, they've agreed with me, is worth me having. But I am in Cornwall. And that usually means it's a bit tough to get things. So it's like a 45 minute walk to my GP because that's Cornish Village life for you. Uh, so I'm going to I'm gonna go on a hunt uh, and take you along with me and see if I can get a hold of a vaccine locally, if at all. So first stop, walk to the GP surgery. Hello. Just here to sign back in again. <laughs> so after she went away, she gave me a number for a local sexual health clinic. So going to try that next. Calling Devon Sexual Health. Please press one little bay of self Good afternoon, Devon Sexual Health. How can I help? Yeah, hi there. My name's Jane. No, um, we don't have any availability at the moment. We haven't done a February between nine and five. And hear this message. Then all of the same. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I've tried. I've tried all three actually, and so everyone said, and everyone said try each other. So. Yeah. Yeah. Alright then, so guess I'll try again in a month. Not to spoil the ending, but there will be lots of back and forth calls before we're done. For me, even when I knew I had monkeypox and had already been tested, it took nearly a week to receive the confirmed result. And actually, I only found out the result after calling my clinic and begging for answers. It turns out the result had already arrived, but I just hadn't been told. Once again, I don't portion any of that blame onto the staff or individuals at these clinics. When you're understaffed and underfunded, there are things that will, in effect, fall through the gaps. The unfortunate thing here is that the things falling through the gaps are people. When I had the monkeypox at the beginning of June, we didn't have that much information out That's there. That's Haran Talune. Like me, he's been through monkeypox. But his case, well, it was a little worse than most. The UK press labelled him as having the worst case of monkeypox in the UK. Haran acquired monkeypox pretty early too. So when he tried to access care in London, things weren't too easy. It started with usual viral infection symptoms, which is high fever and sore throat. Uh, and I thought it was COVID. This was, I think, around 13th, 14th of June. Uh, and high fever started and I tested negative for COVID and it didn't go away. It was just my fever was just going high and high and high. I had a really tiny white 
white and pimple on my nose. But then that pimple started to get bigger and bigger and turn into a, a huge scar on my face. Uh, but it wasn't that painful. Uh, I When I called the emergency services, I called them, I think, around six times. Uh, and I told them I had high fever and I had this blister um, lesion on my face. And every single time they told me that this is not an emergency. Uh, so, you know, this is just a high fever. Call us when you are worse. Call us when you are worse. And every day I, I kept on calling them. But every day I got the same answer. And the last day I, and the last of the call was I said, OK, I have 40 degrees Celsius fever. And worse than that is basically me passing out. And I don't know what is wrong with me. And it has been already 10 days into this, this condition that I don't know what it is. Um, and I am quite worried. And they didn't do anything with that. Luckily enough, my friend Alex, uh, who is also working in sexual health and you know giving all this monkeypox information through THD and iBase, and he texted, said that, OK, listen, you know, these symptoms can be monkeypox, which was the point I started to check more details with the monkeypox. But then obviously at the beginning, we thought that lesions and blisters should appear, but I didn't have any blisters, but only one scar on my nose. So it did. I really didn't think that it could be monkeypox with only one lesion. Emergency services somehow called my GP and my GP called to check on me and they said that, oh, we think your HIV medication stopped working. So, you know, maybe you should check with your sexual health clinic. And that really scared me because I am working in HIV sector and I never ever had any kind of problems or interactions about my HIV medication or related to HIV. I didn't even have symptoms when I had HIV uh, at the beginning in 2016. That is how I called sexual health clinic and they invited me, okay, let's take you in and, you know, test you. They tested me, but they told me that okay, this doesn't look like monkeypox because we saw many cases here. And this, you know, this rash, this one, only one blister, um, you know, they wrote a letter. I still keep the letter here. And they passed me over to the A&E thinking that there's another infection in my body. A&E doctor came in and said that, oh, this is tonsillitis. Take this penicillin and go home and drink lots of water. Just another misdiagnosed. I came home, started to take penicillin. At this point, I was already taking too much ibuprofen. They said, don't take more than four. I was taking four every hour because my pain, my, my muscle ache, my fever, the shivers, I wasn't able to sleep. I was taking three, four sleeping pills and I wasn't able to sleep at all. So it was real. And the next day of the testing, my throat started to hurt. Um, this was on a Thursday. I tested on Wednesday. And by Friday, I wasn't even able to drink any water. And I wasn't even able to drink, uh, spit, swallow my own spit. And it was too painful. Uh, Homerton's lead nurse was calling and checking on me every day. And I remember that Friday, I cried because it was two weeks already. And I, I didn't know what was happening. And I said, I can't drink. I can't look after myself. I'm just laying, lying down on the sofa, past, half passed out. Uh, my life is in, going in a misery and no one is helping me. Uh, and probably I'm going to die or something's going to happen to me. And at this point, she convinced uh, Royal London Hospital to take me into the A&E again. And um, 
at first they said, okay, we're gonna, you know, give you some some medication and do further testing, and we're gonna send you home. And they left me in the A&E room for a really long time. And when they came back, I can't remember. I was just crying in the in the room, to be honest with you, with pain. They said, okay, we're gonna keep you in the hospital in the isolation ward upstairs. They that was how my hospital journey started. And I was already three days into the hospital that Homerton sent me the test result or a positive monkeypox test result through SMS message. Then things finally started to get better because Royal Free London took me over uh, because they are, you know, they're actually really number one hospital in infectious conditions. And they were really, you know, knowledgeable with that. They took me over. They immediately put me on Tecovirumat. And I think four days after that, um, the first signs of healing started to appear. Like me, Haran has never been given the vaccine. He did have the benefit of the antiviral T-pox, which we have talked about on previous episodes. I count myself so lucky that I was not at the point where I had to be hospitalized. But I do wonder if I'd had access to the antivirals Would my experience have been any easier? I also wonder what would have happened if I'd received my vaccine after exposure. Topher Taylor did just that. After finding out from a partner that he had been exposed, he immediately contacted his clinic to receive treatment. So ironically, I got it. I I was researching the vaccine because I'd been in close contact with somebody who had monkeypox. And I was just panicked. So I was like, right, let me just quickly you know, get myself looked after. So I spoke to a clinic, like, you're fine to come in, we'll just keep you distance and stuff. Because I believed I had been exposed. So I just went, and I, God bless London, I just went onto Twitter, and I just searched the keyword um, monkey pox vaccine London, and I found a vaccine clinic in Good Street, Mortimer Market Square. So I went there, and I, I feel so privileged saying how easy it was. But for me, like, because the amazing, you know, the central London sexual health clinics are incredible. So I just literally, about 30 minutes after finding the clinic, I booked my time slot, which was available, I think, because not many people have access to it, like the knowledge. So I, for me, I, I feel a bit guilty saying this. It was really simple, the, the vaccination process. So I was vaccinated and a couple of days later, I started to show pox on my body and he says he believes this really helped minimize his symptoms i had a very mild case that i'm blessed to say i had i'll just be completely specific because i think if when i was googling it i was getting annoyed because i wasn't hearing i wasn't reading specifics like what happens what happens to your body so i'll tell everyone listening exactly my experience i had one mark come up on my forearm on the inside it looked like an insect bite I had one come up on one of my toes. I had one on my inner thigh and one on my bum cheek, like just on the inside of the cheek. And at first they looked like um, insect bites and they develop into like kind of like whitehead pimples. And then the weather, the whitehead, the white bulb is, you know, it's like a pimple spot that you attempt to, it kind of dips inwards into like a pock shape. And I did, and I'll tell people this, I had terrible, terrible anal pain. And I was bleeding quite heavily from my anus. And the, 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 the tension sensation, it's almost like I felt like I was constantly, for about 36 hours, I felt like I was going to prolapse. I was terrified. I really, because I thought, oh my gosh, because I've got this pain anally, they must be all inside of me. I was freaking out. I was bleeding. 
you know, and then there's obviously the, the going to the toilet part, which isn't very glamorous because you that part of your body is there for a certain function. So that's very uncomfortable. I'm very lucky to say that my experience was very mild and that's because of the vaccine, I would say. I know people that had horrific experiences. For those of us that have been through monkeypox, there is a lot of uncertainty. Like, are we protected without a vaccine? And some of those things we just don't know. But there are things that are becoming a little bit more clear, like information for the window period for having unprotected sex after recovery. Well, there have been a few breakthroughs. But that's coming up after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Right, here we are a month later. Let's try calling the Sexual Health Clinics again. Good morning, Devil Sexual Health. Yeah, hi there. Um, I called about a month ago about trying to get hold of a monkeypox vaccine. I'm immune to the advice of my yeah, consultants. Yeah, we, we don't have any, I'm afraid. Still don't have any. Okay. We have, okay. I don't think we have any monkeypox vaccines available. I think the state currently is possibly um, querying the end of the month. Okay. And that's not guaranteed. Okay. Yeah, we're really unsure, unfortunately. Give us um, a call near the end. Near the end of the last week of the month. Cool. Okay. So I think it's worth reflecting at this point just how far apart all of these places I've been calling are. There's like three sexual health centres for all of Devon and Cornwall. And so that's for a population of 1.3 million people who say if you live in at Land's End, right, the furthest way you can be. You're going to have to drive as much as three hours or over 130 miles to get to a sexual health clinic. And to give you some real context, right, because not everyone has a car, the public transport journey for that can be as mad as eight hours of like multiple buses and trains in between loads of different badly connected networks, which makes it impossible to get to a sexual health clinic on public transport in a day. And though it's a little different in London, right, where there's a population just shy of nine million, zoom in on the centre of town and there's three clinics within two miles of each other. And there's obviously an amazing public transport network. So, like, what the very dedicated, helpful, (laughs) unlikely very bored of hearing my voice staff at these clinics have been saying to me over the last two months is basically they're waiting on, quote, London to send us vaccines down here. You know, that sentence in its own says so much about the postcode lottery of services and health inequities around the UK that it gets worse and worse the further you are from cities. So yeah, I'm feeling a bit exasperated. I guess I'll follow their advice and try again 
in another month. Jamie's journey to search to find vaccines is pretty tough to hear. Surely everyone around the country should be able to receive the same service, not just those in big cities. But there are some people outside of London that have received some pretty great care. There was a specific line to call when you have monkeypox or suspect that you might have monkeypox. That's Connor Mackis. We heard a little bit from him in episode four. Connor went through monkeypox around the same time that I did. He lives in Bristol and his experience of receiving treatment was very different to mine. So I went online, um, they had this phone number, I called them, I left a message, they called me back within a few hours, and yeah, I was seen um, in like, it seemed like they cut off, uh, they shut down half of their uh, clinic for me um, to be able to do that. Um, and she kind of said, yeah, this looks like monkeypox, um, took a swab, and then I was sent at home to isolation. And I wasn't, it was, I think on a Friday, maybe a Thursday. Um, and then I got notified the next week by the UK HSA, so the UK Health Security Agency, um, who then ran through contacts and stuff. And they called my office friends. Um, they emailed my housemate as well um, and essentially said, like, you could have been in contact with monkeypox. Do you want a vaccine? Um, but I was in isolation until after. But the clinic called me every day um, to make sure I was OK. They were quite good. I had a problem with my eye at one point. So I was sending photographs to um, the eye specialist. <laughs> Um, it's quite intense, but yeah. Because obviously compared to London, it's not big, but there's like a relatively large uh, queer population in Bristol, but I was one of the first to be diagnosed in the area. So I would imagine that probably helped the cause. And what about other places around the country? When it comes to big cities, we know that those who received a vaccine appointment, well, they had a pretty long day ahead of them waiting in those queues. Manchester had three um, Sundays consecutively where they had a walk-in clinic. That's Dan Ellis. He's based in Manchester. Well, we got to the queue a bit late because I may have gone out to Canal Street the night before and decided that sleep was uh, was more important for a few minutes and then I panicked and realised. Quickly hopped into an Uber and got there. I was planning to arrive about 7.30, but as I say, a little bit late. Got there about quarter past eight. There was probably, there was a good few people there already. It was like starting to get into a festival. Everyone seemed quite jovial. I think some people had left Cruise 101 and just walked straight to the, uh, the clinic, which is fine. It was a bit of a rainy day. Didn't seem to bother anyone. I mean, everyone came prepared. There were people with umbrellas. There were people with armchairs. There were people with someone with a football. It was really good fun. Uh, it sounds very strange to say it was good fun, but everyone was there with a purpose. They all wanted to be there. Really chatty, really upbeat. So I was chatting to a very busy Dan whilst he was on a little break at work backstage at a theatre. The glamorous life of gays. And I did find his perspective really interesting. I think the weirdest part for me was the fact that we all got handed a raffle ticket to start with. I did feel like I was at a village fete tombola. Um, and my ticket, I think, was so probably 45 
minutes after I intended to get there, I was number 164 in the queue, which I think sounded like an ominous number, but I was just like, yeah, that's good. 164 people in front of me, go for it, why not? Great, I think we were told from my point that time in the morning, it'd be about two and a half hour wait which seems like a lot, but I've queued for three hours to get on Nemesis at Alton Towers, so it didn't bother me. I'm absolutely fine with that. The gents in front of me asked, how quick does the queue go down? And the health worker who was responding to questions said, we're getting through about 60 people per hour. And his response was, so do I, that's why I'm here. And that kind of set the tone for the day, I think, um, that people had planned their outfits, great. Um, I had a jacket with a stain on it, which was a bit suspect, but I was, hoping it might uh, help my case if it did come down to was I get it or not, was I eligible? And also quite a lot of handsome people in the queue, not going to lie. Um, which I know you shouldn't, when you're looking for vaccines and stuff like that, you shouldn't be looking to pull, but you also know they put out. So double win really to me. And while Stan had a bit of a weight on his hands, he decided to share his own story on Twitter, which resulted in a prize that wasn't just the vaccine. It was a really, really smooth operation. Like all the staff there, they just were so orderly, as quick as you can. It was no funny business, straight in, straight out, and, and get the next person in. Um, it was, it, I had a really positive experience. Can't sort of commend the nurses enough. And as I say, I had a raffle ticket, and when I was going through towards the end and my number was called, I was dragged aside by what turned out to be, I think, the matron of, of the shift. And I was like wondering why or anything like that and she said asked me are you Dan Ellis have you been tweeting along as you've been doing this and I I crapped myself a little bit I felt like I was taking dragged into head teacher's office so then I got a bit panicked like oh no if if my Twitter threads got me in trouble or something apparently it kept them quite entertained which I was happy with and then uh, they presented me with a coloring, coloring book just like it was an actual raffle with my name on it and everything so yeah I came away with a free gift as well which uh, which I'll take Dan's story kind of sums up how it should be. He needed a vaccine, and well, he got a vaccine. But Dan is in Manchester, one of the biggest cities in the country. While it's important to celebrate this, there is still those slipping through the net outside in other places. Hello, it's Jamie again, still on the search for a vaccine. It's about a week before this episode is released and after trying to get hold of a vaccine in Cornwall since August, it's now the end of October, so about four months on, I thought I would give it just one more try. And though it started like every time... And, and have you tried the Cornwall service? Uh, yes, yeah, so you... I've been... Basically what I've been doing is calling up all three of you since since August. <laughs> this is the first right, time I've yeah. I did well. finally get... A glimmer of hope. Because we do have them, we just have a long list of people that obviously um, are wanting it as well. So some vaccines, long waiting list, and I'm going to get a call back in a couple of days to see if I can get on that list. Okay, cool. So just got off the phone and it's good news. I'm off to get a monkeypox vaccine in a couple of weeks at a clinic and it's an hour away, 35 miles. So not the worst of the, the three, it's the closest one of the three available to me. I'm so lucky actually to get have someone to who can help get me there with access to a car. And given the petrol prices at the moment, like enough cash to put some <laughs> petrol in the tank to get us there. But all of this has just kind of been making me think about the other men down here in Cornwall and Devon, where, where believe it or not, even in a Cornish village, there was a little bit of grinder action. And I've been wondering about those who just 
aren't going to be able to get protected. Like, especially when you start to think about the additional levels of like internalized and community homophobia that creates all kinds of barriers down here and in rural towns and villages all across the country. And so, yeah, four months to get a vaccine, it just feels too long. And that was with a lot of hard work trying. I can't help but think about everyone else. I wish Jamie's story had a happier ending. In the trailer for this show, I said we have the tools to solve this outbreak. We've just got to use them. Earlier in the series and in this episode, we spoke with Haran, who had a really rough time with monkeypox. We chatted on quite a personal level, and we share a lot of the same frustrations about the limbo that we're in. We were both told we must wait 12 weeks until we can have sex without a condom again, because, well, the scientists simply didn't know if we were infectious after that point. We're now both past that mark. And Haram, well, he was lucky enough to get a test at 12 weeks to see if he was still infectious. They just released these guidelines about semen testing at the early stages, actually. I think it was in June or July. In the, there were actually four bullet points in there. Uh, says that, you know, if you are going under a fertility treatment or if you are, you know, for um, an extensive chemotherapy, if you are going uh, like a semen storage uh, option or, you know, um, immunocompromised sexual partner, if you have, or in the fourth bullet, it says that if you are worried about transmission to your sexual partners, which includes people like us. Uh, So I went to my sexual health clinic and asked for it. Sadly, like any other communication happened in the monkeypox since the beginning. They weren't aware of that. They never, ever heard of it uh, it before. Um, They checked it um, and they asked UKHSE and then uh, they just gave me a sample box, um, which I returned with the sample itself. And then I think in two two to three weeks time, uh, they got back to me saying that it was negative for monkeypox. It, it wasn't exactly easy. The reason is because this option is out there, but uh, clinics are not aware. It is not in their own procedures, internal procedures. So patients really need to make them aware. Even, you know, my clinic got back to me said that, oh, this option is not for you. This option is like for fertility treatments and stuff. And I had to find the link and share with them, said that, you know, the fourth point actually makes it about me because I'm very worried about passing it to my partners. And uh, that was the whole process. But again, it is very hit and miss. And especially recently, I talked to a couple of people uh, who went through the path for semen testing, um, but their results came back inconclusive. And the clinicians were like, oh, do you know, do you really want to go back to that route again? You know, that just kind of off-putting messaging about the delays, about how long it takes, about, of course, because there is no support for sexual health clinics to handle that workload extra. Um, so they are not too keen to, to do that. Um, and also the other thing rule with that semen testing is, I think you can get it on, uh, after 12 weeks of your discharge and, you know, um, recovery. So you have to wait a little bit. Uh, so at this point, I think anyone who recovered from monkeypox, they would be like, you know, no, I don't, I don't care about it anymore. You know, <laughs> I am just done and dusted with it. So, but it just it helped me a lot. It helped me a lot because I wasn't able to go back to the dating. I wasn't able to go back to my 
old myself, you know, especially with dating and talking to guys or going on dating apps or going even going out, going back to normal life. Um, and somehow that test result helped me to get back my mojo, I say. Um, so it's a good option for anyone who is worried um, and would like to take a little peace of mind themselves. So although this is amazing news for Haran, this isn't something that I've been offered or is routinely being offered. I actually hadn't heard about the process until Haran shared it online. <laughs> Are you noticing a pattern yet? The response to monkeypox has been disparate across the UK. And even between people in the same city. But we do need to take the wins where we can. Haran's result is a really great indicator that monkeypox should be out of your system after 12 weeks. Though this is just one test result and more work really needs to be done. But I hope it gives anyone listening to this who is going through monkeypox some real comfort. The same comfort that I was clinging to from Matt Ford's Google Doc, which we talked about all the way back in episode one. Although this is really tough, this is momentary. And you will be on the other side really soon. On the next episode of What the Pox, we're talking about the topic everyone seems to want to avoid. Sex. And we are not holding back. A lot of it still does just stem back to the stigma around sex. We're up against people who sometimes believe that masturbation is a sin. And so as a sex worker, are we enabling people to be sinful? Thanks to today's voices, Harun Talune, Connor Mackis, Jamie Wareham, Dan Ellis, and Topher Taylor. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Martin Joseph, and executive produced by Jamie Wareham. What the Pox is a Queer AF production. And we can't make this show without you. If you think it's valuable and we've done a good job, head to wearequeeraf.com forward slash whatthepox. Find out how you can chip in the price of a coffee a month to help us make fearless content for the community. Because it counts instead of for clicks. That's wearequeeraf.com forward slash whatthepox. And remember, we are Queer AF and so are you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.